Hello and welcome to This is Ibrix, the Rangers podcast Shut up and sit down Hello and welcome to episode 5 of This Is Ibrooks, the Rangers podcast. My name's Martin Douglas and I'm joined by my two usual co-hosts, Scott Patterson and Thomas McIntyre. Evening, gents. Hi, Martin. Hi, Tommy. Hi, guys. How's it going? Bad, thank you. Not bad, not bad. How are you dealing with isolation? Uh, I'll go first, Tommy. It's a bit of a nightmare. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, we've got, my wife and I are working from home with the two kids um, who are both under five who are wandering about looking for attention for the minute they wander downstairs in the morning until we, we put them up to our bed at night. So uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a challenge, but I'm sure it's a it's kind of a, a agony that's felt across the country just now. We're not alone. Yeah, I, I'm certainly finding it difficult being a burglar by trade. Uh, I'm finding that uh, that people are home too much now, uh, and therefore I'm 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 struggling to struggling to bring in the, the goods that I generally do. Uh, well, I went back to my work on Monday for the first time in seven days, and oh, I'm so happy. And I never thought I would say I was happy at my work. <laughs> um, I'm sure your boss t- is recording that. I'm going to play it back to you once the pandemic's over. I would say not because. My boss doesn't support the same team as us. Let's just say that. Uh, it's, uh, are they back of the bus? <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> right, before we get into tonight's pod, Thomas, I believe you've got a wee bit of a news for the listeners and an interview that will be aired on Sunday. Yeah, uh, and I'm really, really excited. And I think, uh, I think other people will. I had the fantastic opportunity... Uh, afforded to me to sit down with the Price of Football podcast's Kieran Maguire, so a football finance expert, to spend some time discussing what the COVID-19 pandemic uh, impact would be on football's finances at a European uh, national uh, level and also specifically about Rangers as well, of course. So look forward to getting that out there and letting people have a listen to it. Absolutely fantastic chat. And I cannot uh, thank Kieran Maguire highly enough. What an absolute gentleman. No, absolutely. And I'm sure he's probably inundated with interview requests. So again, um, a massive, massive thank you to Kieran Maguire for taking the time out to talk to us, especially as we are a brand new podcast. And the numbers are looking good for us. We're, we're getting better and better every day. But for him to take his time out to speak to a an absolutely brand new podcast. It's absolutely phenomenal. And like you say, an absolute gentleman. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so, Scott, I suppose there's only one place we can really start this week. And the, the big news coming out of Rangers is that Dave King, the chairman, has stepped down. Yep, yeah, so this was met with um, quite a bit of surprise, which I think surprised a lot of the Rangers supporters. Dave King was quite clear when they had the AGM last year that March would be the time where he would be, if not stepping down, he'd certainly be giving it a lot of consideration. So I don't think 
everyone was hugely surprised that it happened. I think that the fact that this COVID-19 virus that is, is kind of given us huge difficulties around the, the world just now, that's probably helped them, if you like, uh, make the decision just now. So no, not a huge surprise. Maybe a wee bit sad to see him go just because of all the things he's done previously. But we spoke recently about um, how King, um, Gilligan and Murray um, came in as the three bears and saved the club. And for that, he'll forever be remembered. And I think, that, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all the Rangers fans listening to the pod, that we'll forever be grateful to him for doing that. So he goes down with a, a huge part in the, the football club's history. Wish him certainly all the best to for the future and whatever he goes on to do. Yeah, I was just going to to, to add there. I think I think Scott absolutely captures captures it perfectly, uh, in that it's yet another example of something that is completely run of the mill and has completely and absolutely trailed uh, and put out there to in, into the media sphere in terms of Dave King already announcing this and then something you're told is going to happen happening, but yet. The media take any potential negative spin on it and say, well, he's walking away, uh, he, he's, he's going to rescue his own businesses and, you know, by default, Rangers are in trouble as well. This is just a normal transition of one chairman to another. It happens day in, daily in every single business around the globe. And what you do is good corporate governance. You say you're going to go, you leave it sometime, then you go and a person steps in who's been appointed. Rangers did nothing different from every other business on the planet and yet it's doom and gloom so it's it's just another nonsensical take on what should be a normal story i think in the same breath we almost need to as rangers fans we need to be prepared to, to ask the, the sort of interesting questions as well we've had so many crooks that have been in and around the marble staircase in the last oh my goodness since 2012 and we're, we're right to ask the questions we have to ask difficult questions. Dave King clearly trusts Mr Park as the guy that can come in and sit in his chair for the next wee while and if it's good enough for Dave King then it should be good enough for every single one of us. Actually, do you know, you've just reminded me of something else as well. Do you know, I did not know that Douglas Park once sat on the board of hearts. Yeah, I I didn't realise that until recently. Uh, I was reading the story. I I didn't think he'd sat on any other football club's board, but there we go. So he's, he's an experienced Chairman as well. I don't think I read that anywhere. Listen, we all make mistakes. Um, <laughs> so, Thomas, how will the history books and how will the fans remember Dave King? I think that's that's unequivocal. It's, it's favourably. You can take a, a short-term view of, well, I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact he did one thing, or I didn't like the statements that came out from the club, or I didn't like the fact that the takeover panel had a certain view of him and made comments, or uh, I didn't like concomitant risk, uh, whatever you want. The the upshot is he was the linchpin, the keystone of the uh, regime change. I'll, I'll use his phrase there that rescued the club from spivs, liars, cheats, and asset strippers. You know, we went from uh, a gazebo on the pitch to gala days in the Europa League. Yeah. We went from a guy in a bush. Uh, well, we went from interim and people who wouldn't work and cycled through a guy in a bush <laughs> and then ended up with Stephen Gerrard. We went from a playing squad who were instantly forgettable 
to a playing squad who have delivered some unforgettable nights. So let's be quite clear, Dave King has done a fantastic job and you would be churlish, I think, as a Rangers fan if you didn't view him as anything other than an absolute credit to the club and somebody who takes his place at that top top table. I think you have to say as well, as far as, um, as Dave King's concerned, his, his biggest battle continues in the, the Sports Direct um, issue and the, uh, the face-off that we seem to constantly have with, with Mike Ashley, which is inevitably going to come around this summer when we start talking about new football strips and new training kits, etc. Um, that battle goes on. That's the biggest battle that Dave King now has to fight on behalf of the football club. And I'm sure he'll, he's, I think he said that he'll still be um, involved in that battle. I, 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 I sort of rate him very, very highly. I, I wonder where a club would be if it wasn't for Dave King and, as we said before, John Gilligan and Paul Murray. Um, King, as, as Tommy rightly says, spearheaded those three guys and, and took us to the next level. Stephen Gerrard would not be our manager if it wasn't for Dave King in my eyes. Um, he has a close relationship with the guys at Liverpool and is a, a big Liverpool fan, I believe. Gerrard would be nowhere near Ibrox if it wasn't for Dave King. So we've been really, really lucky to have him. And he, as I say, he leaves certainly with my best wishes. So ju- just on Dave King, the man then, Scott, what kind of chairman was he? Because you get different types of chairman. You get chairman who you never hear from, your Roman Abramovich's. Or you get chairman who are never out in the newspapers. Or you get chairman at Defender Club. You get chairman at Don't Defender Club, David Murray. So what kind of chairman was Dave King? I think first and foremost with Dave King is that he was a Rangers fan. He said from the outset, um, he was a huge fan. I think that helped him. And without sounding silly about it, I think that as he watched the club go through all the rubbish that we've went through, he clearly went through it himself. He felt the same as the fans. He felt the same frustrations. He felt the same upset. So I think when he when he came in, he clearly just wanted to give the place a right good going over. And he's clearly went round the place and seen a lot of things that he's not liked and he's looked to change it. So he's been really proactive in my eyes and he's he's got things done. The the thing that's, again, proved to be troublesome for him has been the, the retail relationship. And that's something that listening to his press conferences and reading anything that he said in print, that's something that I, I suspect vigorously he will go after in the coming months between now and the end of whenever. I don't want to say this season because we don't know if that's going to happen, but I suspect between the current day and the end of May, beginning of June, he's he's bound to go after that deal and, and try and, and fix it one way or another. Well, I think Dave King can only be looked at as a Successful chairman, so you take that from the highest position. He's, he's been successful. He's taken the club from where it was. He's changed the regime. He's come in. He's put us on a, a much more stable footing, got us back in Europe, challenging for the league title, um, upping the squad, upping the focus of the, the team, getting Stephen Gerrard in the door. Yeah, there's been some mistakes along the way, but I don't know any chairman who, who hasn't made mistakes. Uh, why Dave King would be held to a different standard than everybody else would be uh, maybe a, a conversation for another time, but he's he's absolutely successful. I think he's probably more importantly the chairman needed Rangers. The chairman Rangers needed at the right time, in that he had to be bombastic. He had to be the type that held a grudge. He had to be the type that would see things through. 
Uh, and I think he did all of that and took the right positions. Yeah, we can pick holes and things like, and I think I said earlier, concomitant risk and, and some of these types of things. But Rangers were fighting a forest fire, you know, not just uh, one wee thing at a time. So it had to be multiple deployment of resources and what was the most important thing on the horizon. Do I, do I agree with Scott that the retail issue has been the single biggest headache for him? Absolutely. I think Dave King would have loved to have had that done and dusted. It's the, it's the single biggest hangover. I think he will also chase it down because he's not going away. He's still the single biggest shareholder. But I don't think you can put him in the class of anything other than the right chairman at the right time, doing the right things, and, yeah, a, a good chairman in my view. Scott, was there anything he could have done differently with regards to the retail deal, or did he have to go sort of toe-to-toe with Ashley? I think he, he had to go toe-to-toe with him. To be perfectly honest with you, I think I mean you're talking about a guy that tried to to put Dave King in the jail across Christmas and New Year a couple of years back. So um, I don't think uh, Dave King was going to was going to settle for that and sort of sit down and take it type thing. So yes, absolutely, he should be held with a great elaboration the way that he's faced up to to Ashley, and I think he's doing a doing a, a relatively decent job of it. We just need it closed off. I think as a football club and a support, a fan base, we, we need that now all closed off, shut down and just put to, to part of our history now. Like you guys have said earlier, there was a lot of, can you, what would be the best word, histrionics around the Dave King leaving. There was a lot of reports of all Rangers are in trouble now, but he's left the club in the hands of Douglas Park now. Douglas Park is a very successful businessman in his own right. His company is one of the biggest companies in Scotland. If there was anything wrong with this club at all, Thomas, there's absolutely no way that Douglas Park would step up and step in and become chairman. Yeah, I mean, we go back to what we were discussing earlier, and you're absolutely right. Uh, if we if we looked at this from a very black and white perspective, you would say company chairman steps down as part of normal transition. So successful businessman slash chairman steps down in accordance with what had been clearly mandated at the AGM. And then successful businessman becomes chairman. You know, that's the story. You know, so, uh, you know, it's only because it's Rangers and there has to be some, uh, uh, you know, uh, negative view of that. But that's the, the basis of this story here. Successful businessman has done his job clearly does what he says he's going to do within the forum of company governance, which is the AGM, and successful businessman replaces him. That, that, that's the story here. Uh, if it wasn't Rangers, it would have just been reported as that, and it should be that simple for people. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And like you said, Scott, um, if Dave King's happy with Douglas Park stepping in temporarily, uh, take the reins if you like, then I, I think every supporter should have the the confidence in Douglas to to steer the club through well this coronavirus pandemic. One hundred percent. I think you're talking about a guy that's been around the sort of board as well and um, for a good long time now. So I, I think Dave King handing over at Douglas Park was almost a, a sort of natural thing for for the board to absorb and take in. What happens in the future is is frankly anyone's guess and we, we can't second guess that just now. But this Rangers fan that you're talking to just now is quite happy with the way things are, are turning out for, for our board. And um, I wish Mr Park the, the best of success in his new role. 
Absolutely, and I think I speak for everybody on the pod and everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, involved with this is Ibrooks when I when I say thank you, Mister King, for everything you've done, and it will certainly not be forgotten. Here, here, yeah. Right now, be- before we move on to our next topic, I'm delighted to say, guys, that we've now been joined on the pod by Willie Boyd. Willie, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, guys? Sorry about that. Hi, Willie. How you doing? Are you are you going to be referred to as the streaker on the pitch? For the rest of this point, because I'll be disappointed. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> hey, gents, though, there's something that I, I want to talk about now, and I'm no expert in this at all, but the club from the other side of the city today have come out and said that their staff will now be on furlong. Um, now, for simpletons like me who don't quite know what that is, Thomas, could you please explain? what the club at the other side of the city are doing. Yeah, so uh, by placing, uh, and I think it's non-playing staff, uh, is my understanding, placing them on furlough. So you can either go about that one in two ways. You either place them on furlough, place someone on furlough with full pay, or you know, part pay being paid by the club, so to speak, or you you know point them towards the UK government's um, income replacement scheme that they've put in place as part of the COVID-19 response, which guarantees 80% of income up to £2,500 per month. So if we take it for for what it is, um, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Celtic's finances because I'm not that interested in them. Um, They are the richest club in the country and they are having to take this step and they will no doubt have to take steps for their, their playing staff as well. We would expect to see that across you know, virtually everybody, and I include Rangers in, in, in this as well, in Scotland, if there's no money coming in. So Celtic have taken that position to say, we can guarantee your, your wages, and so we'll, we'll place you on furlough, and it looks as though the UK government will have to have to pick up the, the 80% there. So I, I think, you know, Celtic, uh, in terms of going cap in hand to the UK government, is, is pretty surprising, um, but that's, uh, that's Celtic for you. Closed minds, open hands. The UK government. Mm. Um, Scott, yes. obviously, if, if Rangers have to go about something like this, then then they have to do it. But for me, and I would like your take on it, before I went down the road of asking non-playing staff who are on far less wages to take a slight wage cut and asking the government to then come in <clears throat> and pay the wages, I would be asking my playing staff who are on millions of pounds a year to take a slight wage cut. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think that there is an opportunity for um, some of the players to almost give something back to the club. And I'm trying that perhaps doesn't sound the way I'm, I'm wanting it to sound. I'm meaning that, you know what I mean? The club's went through a tumultuous time um, and this is an opportunity for the players who are, very well paid, let's be honest, to, to perhaps keep people in jobs after so many people lost jobs at the club previously. I think it's a huge opportunity for the players to step up again and 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 keep people um, in jobs at the club. The the follow thing is, 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 in my experience, it's not really a, an, an easy thing to, to understand. There's bags of legislation around it. Um, I think it's something that the club will probably need to consider over the next wee while, but you'd like to think that the players are perhaps one step ahead as far as 
maybe foreseen some of the the weekly sums. Your thoughts, Wally? Um, I just kind of echo everything the guys have said, but I, I can I see it coming to us as well. To be totally honest, I, I don't know if you'd be able to kind of maintain paying people but not having any income coming in. I don't know if maybe we're a, a couple of weeks ahead, just like Scott was saying there, but I think it might be coming. It depends when the start of the season will be. But um, I suppose that's maybe why we're trying to get in some much-needed season ticket money as well. If I can just, you know, book in some of that as well, because there is a there's a, a conversation that goes alongside that, which is, I suppose it's worth clarifying, there's no contractual requirement for players to take a reduction in wages. Um, and so in terms of legislation, you have to have all those conversations because it has to be voluntary and elective. It can't just be forced on them. Then there's the, well, the clubs or a club might go out of business because you can't keep hemorrhaging money. No, no club can. Um, and then you've got the, the kind of moral conversation. So you, I think it was Julian Knight um, today, who's the uh, chair of the Department of uh, Culture, Media and Sport Committee in the UK government, who had, you know, said, he sticks in the throat that players and playing staff aren't taking a reduction. There's a, there's a moral vacuum at the centre of football. I think it's a wee bit more complex than, than that. And people would draw parallels with the financial crisis and the bail, bailout with the banks and stuff like that. But ultimately, where, where do you draw a line? I think when people say football players need to take a, a reduction in wages, invariably, whether they think it or not, their mind instantly goes to the EPL and players earning 70000 100000 £200,000 a week. There's a lot of players out there who, well-paid people in banks, etc., in the £80,000 a year bracket, earn more than. And so a lot of these players who are on, you know, maybe a grand or two a month or three, four grand a month aren't what you would necessarily think of when you say fat cats or well-paid football players. And I think that probably is a, is a nuance to the conversation that's that's slightly lost. I, I did note, however, I think just in the, in the last couple of hours, I think Eddie Howe and his uh, backroom staff down at Bournemouth have taken a, a cut. I know Stephen Naismith up here and, and Hearts, etc. But there's a lot of players and playing staff who aren't in that catchment of highly paid uh, Lamborghini drivers who maybe need to have a little bit extra thought around about them as well. No, absolutely. When I talk about players taking wage cuts, I'm talking about your Rangers and your Celtics um, because there's no denying that especially Celtic, their players are on far more wages than the likes of even your Hibs and Hearts now, you know. You just need to look at the troubles that Hearts are in. But listen, guys, we'll leave that there because I don't like talking about money and all that because I don't understand it. Um, Let's move on. And again, a bit similar to last week, we don't have any football to talk about. So what I thought we would do on this pod is we would have a slight season review um, but first of all, I wanted to go in and speak about the transfers we made at the start of the season. And I thought it would be interesting to get your guys' thoughts on what you thought when the transfers came in compared to um, your thoughts now on the players. And the first player I'd like to start off at, Willie, is Ryan Kent. Now, there is no Rangers fan that I know of that when we signed Ryan Kent on deadline day for £7 million that was unhappy. No, absolutely. I think everybody was delighted, especially, you know, when we're spending that sort of money. It's been a long time since we've spent anywhere near it. And uh, just unfortunately, we, we know what's happened so far. He's, he's not really kind of kicked on and really kind of dragged us through kind of a few games. But he's um, maybe kind of 
slightly failed to live up to that big price tag. I'll put that to you, Scott. Um, when we signed Ryan Kent for seven million on deadline day, were you happy? I was buzzing when we signed Ryan Kent. Absolutely buzzing. I thought that he would have been the sort of jewel in the crown. Um, indeed, I actually wrote an article that that was the quote. He was the jewel in the crown. I I was really, really pleased we got him. Very similar to Willie. I was stunned at the amount of money that we were putting out on him, certainly. It was a huge, huge purchase from the club. But yeah, delighted we got him in the end. And listen, he's not had a, a sort of great time of it this year, but I still believe that he'll go on to do good things for us. Thomas, on what he had done the season before, did you feel that £7 million was good value? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody w- was anything, I don't think any Rangers fan was anything other than, uh, as Scott said, you know, buzzing on, on the night that he signed. And that's not just because we also got the bonus of Casper Kent Twitter for, for an evening as well, um, uh, which was which was something to behold. Um, I, I, listen, Ryan Kent's 23. He is obviously a talented boy. There's, there's talent there. We've seen that this season as well. The expectations just been a you know a lot. Um, Seven million is a high price tag, and, and we really pushed the boat out. It was a good statement of intent by the club, and nobody can you know uh, have a go at them for that. It was also a purchase that was um, financed by you know cash that we generated from European League, so this wasn't you know bottle type of thing. That there was funds there to do that, and that's how the sustainable model works. So it's important to remember that. But Ryan Kent's a, a talented boy. He'll go on to do really well for us. I suspect he was playing pretty well at the start of the season. Um, his focus has dropped off as the, the team has got progressively worse towards the back end. And then being a high-profile, you know, signing, he always gets the the the, um, the headlines in terms of where's your big player delivering. But even if you take, you know, I, I'm just casting about some of the numbers there. Uh, even in this bad run, I think transfer market and these types of of sites who value players still rate him in the 45 million bracket right now. And that's after a reasonably indifferent season where we've paid slightly, maybe over the odds, because we're purchasing from England. So he's, he's not as if he's dropped to become a hundred thousand pound player. The money's still there, and I sense that you'll have uh, you you're going to have a really good career and move for a lot of money, in my opinion. So Scott, just just finally on Kent, are you happy um, with his performances so far this season? Um, I I think what you're 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 kind of seeing is a, and I've said this before on the podcast, he's a classic um, confidence player. He is a wee bit bereft of it, frankly, just now. Had a really decent performance at Celtic Park um, in the, the game just before the term of the year, which we've done to death. But I wouldn't say he really had a great season up to then. Um, played OK, but there's definitely an argument that you weren't getting the performances that you would perhaps expect immediately from a six and a half, seven million pounds player. So I think you could probably do with a wee bit more from him. But listen, as I say, I firmly believe that'll come. I don't have any concerns about that whatsoever. Hey, well, the the second player I'm looking at is uh, George Edmondson. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'd never heard of the guy before. But um, when I seen the way he'd signed a young guy for Oldham for, I think it was around 700k, and then I seen him, I thought, wow. I, I, I was at the game that uh, I think he first played was against uh, Oxford 
um, took the took the way into his first game, and uh, I was impressed with how quick he looked. He looks like he looked a very big, strong kind of boy, you know, especially at the age as I think he's what in his early twenties. So I think he's got a bag of potential to improve. Just similar to kind of Katic. Um I think he's just been kind of a bit unlucky, if I'm honest, between Katic's form at times and Hollander not to have got a few more appearances. Scott, was he brought in for more as a kind of player for the future? Yes, easy one. Absolutely, no question about it. <clears throat> what I would say is that um, George Edmondson came in, I would say, as fourth choice centre-half. Um, and in my eyes, he's now third. So it gives you an idea of how well he has progressed for such a young boy moving from Oldham, wee club, Rangers, huge club. So I think you've got the the, the clear progress that he's made in the six to eight months that he's been he's been in Glasgow. I'm really impressed with him. I think he's an excellent defender. The the one thing that struck me about him very early doors was his range of passing. His passing ability is excellent. He's probably the best passer out of the four centre halves we've got at Ibrox, again, in my opinion. I think we've got a, a guy that similar to Kent um in future years um, may very well go on to make the club decent cash. Uh, I think in addition, we spoke previously about how players get the Rangers bug when they arrive. He's got it. Um, you can tell when he when he leaves the pitch, um, he's got it. He, he absolutely has that bug for, for pulling on the jersey. Seems to um, like the fans and appreciate the feedback he's getting from the supporters. He's a really, really good defender for our football club, in my opinion. Now, Thomas, I, I must admit, apart from possibly the the Bayer game that we covered uh, a couple of pods ago, I haven't really seen a poor performance from George Edmondson. Yeah, I'm inclined to I'm inclined to agree. Although in the back of my mind, and I'll I'll try and dredge off it at some point, but I'm I'm sure he had a bit of a shaky game in the SPL uh, at some point as well. Uh, I don't know if he was playing in the two-two game at St Johnston, possibly that may have been it, or was that Katic? Anyway, so. I mean, we're talking about a boy who, I think he's 22, to, to answer Willie's point. I think he's in that very young 21, 22 age bracket. He, we picked him up, I think, I think he was in the, the uh, League One Team of the Year. Uh, in his last season at Oldham, he made, the, he made the League One Team of the Year. He looks like he's in fantastic condition. He's certainly not afraid. And Rangers have you know, had a wee bit of a history recently of some defenders who, who just really couldn't hack the physicality. I'm thinking of people like um, Cardoso and stuff like that um, as centre-backs. He's not scared of the physical challenge. He's certainly built for the physical challenge. I can hear Scott that he's technically better than I, I thought he was going to be, uh, and he can certainly pass the ball. And for me, absolutely, I think he's moved himself up the pecking order uh, from when he was coming. He came in as a development bureau purchase. The biggest thing for me... That, that I like about him is that he is a lot more calm on the ball and in certain situations than I expected. I thought it would be a bit more rough and tumble and it would take a bit longer to see that. But he's actually willing to put his foot in the ball and, and move it and move players as opposed to just hump it up the park or out the park. Uh, I think he's definitely one for the future. I have been very impressed with him. I think he's going to be... I think he's going to be brilliant for us. Um, another League One player Scott we signed was a boy by the name of Joe Aribo. Now, there was a lot of noise around Aribo before we signed him, and I don't think we were the only club interested. No, I think there was um, 
I think it was two clubs interested in here, up here rather than signing him, wasn't it? He certainly made the right choice. Uh, what I would say about Joe Aribo is that he has been... They've changed the way that he's played a little bit. So for a, a good wee while, he was playing as, as part of the, the three in the centre of the park. And there was times that the, the physicality of the game was just swallowing him up a little bit. Gerard then sort of moved him into a more of an advanced role, playing on either flank, maybe as that sort of fake 10 role. And he's looked excellent. He's looked absolutely first class. He's another one who's, who's raw. He's got a lot of talent. Classic young guy. If the if things get a bit difficult, he's, his head may drop. But again, he's been someone that I've been really impressed with. And kudos to the to the guys at the club for taking advantage of this cross-borders rule as well because we've got a really good player in the grand scheme of things and we've managed to pick him up for buttons. I think, Wally, that um, it's also got to be said that Lee Boyer was ecstatic that he got his move to Rangers. Hmm. I think he was absolutely <laughs> delighted, wasn't he? Uh, no, I think the smoke's still coming out of his ears. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I think we, we, we should really be looking forward to seeing more of Joe Rubel probably next season kicking on because this season he's been pretty, pretty alright you know he's been pretty good comes in and out of games physically as well as as um, the guys were saying there but um, I think he's like contributed quite a lot with assists as well in the league and who could forget the goal he scored against Braga in the Europa League yeah. Thomas, just, Thomas just, just before you come in Thomas I want to ask you a question of course what position is Joe Rebo's sort of how would you say best position Oh, um, I was hoping you'd ask that to somebody else. Uh, to, to be brutally honest with you, I think he's he's decent on the right hand side, but I would probably want to play him either as a if you were playing a number ten or an inside an old style inside forward if you like. I think that's where he probably does his best work. I don't see him as a natural right sided midfielder. I don't see him sitting in the middle. I think you have to give him the license to get forward because he does his best work in the final third. Now, the reason I asked you that question was because I worry, and I, and I like Jory, well, I think he's a brilliant player, I worry that if we sign Hadji, um, they two are going to be fighting out for that kind of a number 10-ish position, maybe the top of the, the three in the midfield, um, and I think that might possibly stunt his progress. I actually think that, and we're, you know, we're moving away from from the original question, so before I, before I do that, it would be nice just to point out that, uh, you know, in terms of leaving Charlton and coming to, to Rangers, Joe Rebo uh, ticked off one of those parts that we were talking about on a previous pod and is still important now. A player who came in at a young age, got better exposure and has broken into the Nigeria national team. So his value has went up from that player uh, trading perspective. Um I also think he's, you know, he's very technically gifted, and I agree with the guys in terms of confidence. I think Stephen Gerrard had said he's a player that the, the fans will need to come with me with on, on some occasions because he's still a bit raw and his head might go down. He's, he's a very young boy, um, but in terms of Haji and uh, Kent and Rebo, etc., I, I think in time they could they could fairly quickly spell the death or sound the death knell for um, Scott Arfield. Um, so, so Scott, no matter what happens with Jory, but you have to say it was excellent business for what was it, two hundred thousand development fee. 
Yeah, I mean, it was something like that. It was, it was really, so in the grand scheme of things, I, I said buttons earlier on, it was slightly more than buttons, it was two buttons, but um, the 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 fee that they paid was, was really minimal. I think it was about 250 tops, um, and we've we just got a, a really good player on our hands for developing the future. He's went straight into the first team squad and has, has looked like he's been there for a long time. They're talking about a young guy who's came from the bright lights of London um, to to play in Glasgow. I, I I think he's done really, really well. And I defy anyone to think about Joe Rebo this season and not to think about how beautifully he brought that ball out of the air at Celtic Park in December. It'll definitely be one for the the highlights reel at the end of the season, whatever that's going to be. Yeah, I just, I just think that depending on the formation, Gerard decides to play next season. If he, if he plays one that suits Aribo, I think he'll be a, <clears throat> excuse me, an excellent player. Thomas Jake Hasty was brought in for Motherwell. Why? Oh, that's a tough, it's a tough question. Um, you know, Jake, Jake Hasty was lighting up, uh, or I should probably say, putting in really, really strong performances in the in the SPL for Motherwell. He did look like a, a really good young prospect. He still looks like a good young prospect. That's why he was signed uh, by Rangers. He was never, I don't think, uh, signed as a, we're, we're getting this boy and he's going to go straight into the first team squad. Certainly not the first team 11. He maybe had a chance to, to prove himself to be in around the periphery. Given the overweight nature of our left-hand side in terms of you know, Brandon Barker, uh, Jones, Kent, uh, now Camberry, Middleton. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody out. Jamie Murphy, all those players who could play in that position. When the pack got shuffled, Jake Hasty just wasn't seen as being, you know, somebody that had to fill, uh, fill in. I think he, he played a couple of the friendlies at the start of the season and didn't really, you know, uh, light up. Uh, maybe one of those cases where you want it so much, you try too hard and instead of taking on the important pass, you try and beat another player. He's went out on loan. It's not been stellar. He's back. He's not broken into the first team. He's, he's a development player. He's still in that place. Let's see what next season brings for him. That's the reason, Wally, that I asked why, because if you're going to bring him in for the future, that's all fine. You're going to put him out on loan, that's fine. But then they bring him back to the club and he, he doesn't even look as if he's getting anywhere near a chance in the first team. Uh, but I think it was similar to, to when he was in Rotherham. I don't think he was really getting in their team either, and that kind of fires a few warning shots towards towards me anyway, where his career may lie. I don't think he's he's going to really do too much next season either. I think we've went for him because he's Scottish, he's young, and hopefully we can get a bit of money in the summer. We got him for nothing, and hopefully make something. Well, you you wouldn't give him you wouldn't give him another season. In terms of you know potential development, would you just absolutely pull pull the trigger on him at the when this season's finished? Just with how heavy we are on the left side, I can't see him getting anywhere near the, the team. To be honest, either I think him and Middleton might find themselves away. The only reason I could see them staying is I know there's some like rules in regards to Europa League and the league. I think with so many players under the age of like homegrown talent, so many players under an X amount of age. Um, so that could be the only reason that I, I might see us hanging on to him. But uh, other than that, I, I don't think he's, he's really got a future at Ibrox. 
the only reason that I know their rules is because of football manager. Um, <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> Scott, just, no, that just, remind, just the old. Sorry to interrupt there, Martin. That reminds uh, me and people of a certain age will remember when Rangers under Walter Smith the first time, uh, and it was the three foreigner rule when you played in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you only you could only have three foreign players in your European squad, and the rest had to be homegrown, so to speak. Uh, now you, you just couldn't. I couldn't see that flying if they tried to re-implement that type of thing these days. That's why we get rid of Nigel Spankman. What a player. And what a player he was. Eh? I mean, I was too young to remember Nigel Spankman, of course, but I have seen videos. But I, I, I did hear another, and I don't want to take credit for it, I did hear another podcast. I can't remember what one saying that that was the reason that we got rid of Nigel Spankman. And he, did, he didn't want to leave. But, but uh, Scott, just quickly, your thoughts on Jake Hasty. Just quickly, goodness me, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> a couple of things on Jake. Thanks Hastie. very much, Scott. Cheers. <laughs> a couple of things on Jake Hasty. Firstly, did Mark Allen sign him? Now, if Mark Allen signed him, then I would suggest he's bombed. Secondly, he went out to Rotherham on. Was it was Rotherham on loan, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he went down to Rotherham on loan. And very similar to um, Glenn Middleton, who we spoke about last week, didn't do anything down there, which must be, again, um, to, to look at what we discussed last week, a huge concern for Craig Mulholland and Ross Wilson. The thing that gets me on Jake Hasty, if the latter, if Ross Wilson hasn't liked what he's seen so far or hasn't agreed with whatever it was that Mark Allen spotted, Jake Hasty will probably move on in the summer, I suspect. Now, while I asked Tom... <coughs> I don't know what's going on in my throat tonight. It's killing me. Um, I asked Thomas. I JK, going around. Uh, well, I can't <laughs> say that in case somebody from my work is listening and, I need, and uh, they send me home. I can't spend any more time at home. Um, <laughs> I asked Thomas Jake Hasty why. So, Wally Greg Stewart, why? I think probably similar. There has maybe been a Mark Allen signing to be to be totally truthful, considering the appearances he's made as well it's, it's not really kind of worked out for him at all he had that kind of a strange season last season between Kilmarnock and Aberdeen it was kind of like Kilmarnock had done really well he went to try his arm at Aberdeen again and it, it didn't really go as, as, as to plan as it did at Kilmarnock Scott that was a really really strange signing for me I don't know about you yeah I mean I'll be honest with you I, I, I quite like Greg Stewart I think the one thing that Greg Stewart brings is a, a decent degree of flexibility. He can play anywhere along that top three, including a, a sort of forward role. Um, so he can play left or right, and he can also play in a sort of Morelos role or a Defoe role. I think Gerard likes him. I think Gerard quite likes him. I think he's been used really, really sparingly this year. There's been times where he's actually looked quite good, and then following week he's he's not even made the bench which has been surprising there must be reasons for that uh what they are i'm not entirely sure but i i think i think he's a decent player i don't think he'll move on this summer at all thomas before the season started did you think greg stewart would be good enough to play for rangers sharp answer to that is no so i'm trying to be in keeping with, with giving you know quick answers and so now he bust that by giving you a longer answer 
for me, I understand, for example, where, where Scott's coming Thanks from. Thanks very much, Thomas. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I understand where Scott's coming from there. I think Gerard, uh, Stephen Gerrard is on record as saying, you know, he likes Greg Stewart. He sees him as he's an intelligent player with his hold-up play and uh, his little darting runs and uh, initial touches. For me, though, I just don't understand it, other than it was a horses for courses type of signing. He was never going to be an absolute starter. It cost us nothing. It was a free. Uh, he, he's 30. I think he only signed something like a two-year deal. So that's fine. He can be back out the door before he becomes a serious liability. But if you actually look at his career, I mean, I struggle to see how he could ever be a Rangers player. I mean, off the back of what, I think he played something like 16, 17, 18 you know, games for, for Kamalnock, somebody can no doubt point me out from a statistic point of view. And he scored some like eight goals in that um that six month period or whatever it was, right? Before that, he'd been at Aberdeen previously, uh, I, I think a, a goal every ten games or something like that. Birmingham City didn't work out. Dundee was decent, that's why he gets moved to Birmingham. And then after the Kelly loan, he went back up to Aberdeen, like hit the back of the net once for the rest of the season. And then gets a move to Rangers. I, I don't see the value in him. And other than he had a cracking game against Aberdeen at Ibrox, he's he's nothing but a bit part player. If he's on cheap wages, probably as, uh, as Scott says, you keep him on for the other year because he gives you a, a Scottish you know person in the squad that can that can come in. Other than that, he's a he's a footnote, uh, and we wish him you know the best. But he's not a Rangers player for me. You're going to notice a wee slight uh, theme here, Scott. Brandon Barker. <laughs> you get the short straw. <laughs> could, could you not ask someone else that, please, Gaffer? No problem, Scott. Brandon Barker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan at all. I think he, he falls into the category of um, one of these guys that just the, the, the jersey looks just too heavy for him. He just doesn't look prepared mentally or physically to play for Rangers and I'm not doubting that technically he's a decent player he he just he, he certainly hasn't got it whatever it is he is definitely missing it well I believe and I could be wrong but I believe that was actually a Mark Allen signing I can believe that I think he would have worked to him at Man City when he was youngster and had a lot of promise but I think it's it's fair play his, his age if he got him 10 they reported 10 grand a, a week it's absolutely scandalous how a player of that sort of ability age is getting 10 grand if that's reported reportedly right I should say it might not be but that's it that was the rumours I've, I've seen online Thomas you, say, you said to me um, off air that you're a massive massive Brandon Barker fan and you think he should have started more games this season did you not? Uh, you want to get a better phone? Uh, to <laughs> it, was, it was it was before twelve o'clock on April the first when we had that conversation. So uh, that's totally totally in keeping. Listen, I, I'm going to give you a very short answer because I'm not going to waste my time talking about Brandon Barker. Sooner he leaves the club, the better. Wow, that I mean, last pod Scott gave me a short answer, but I never felt you could give me one that short. <laughs> it's, it's not that belligerent, but unless he really turns around his kit, do you know what? Right, okay, and in, in the in the um, spirit of giving my usual type of answer, he's cycled through Man City's academy, done nothing, Rotherham on loan, NEC Breda in Holland, went to Hibs, 
flattered to deceive, looked pretty decent against us on one sub-appearance. Uh, if I remember Easter Road, cutting in off the left a couple of times and hitting the post and giving Fodringham a couple of things to think about. I think in between the Hibs and us, Preston North End, potentially, or some, some other club like that, uh, never done anything, manages to get himself rocked up at Rangers. It has all the hallmarks of a, a Mark Allen purchase as the as we were casting about looking for people to pad the squad out, and he looked like a viable option, being only 20... He is only 23, give, give him his due, right? That that can turn. But he doesn't look as if he's going to be able to break through at Rangers, and we could use that money in a better way. So, yeah, I refer you to my earlier, shorter answer. The sooner he leaves the club, the better. That's better. Parity restored. <laughs> um, th- this is actually worrying me now, because I was, I was um, researching this last night, but it transfers and... <sighs> Scott Andy King. Andy King. I remember when Andy King came up and I thought, goodness me, he's going to be a really good player. And I mean, he is a good player. You're talking about a guy who's got a, a Premiership um, medal behind him. Uh, there won't be many of them that have one of those in their, their hip pocket and come up to play in Scotland, for what it's worth. Found it really difficult. Period of time, he was at Ibrox purely down to the way that the the tree of midfielders that Gerard was picking every week were playing. Very similar to the... We spoke last week about how Ross McCrory would have found it hard to, to squeeze out a Davis, a Jack, a Kamara in that six-month period. And the King found that difficult as well. And it's testament to how well those guys were playing at that period of time. Anything you read about King, he speaks really fondly of his time at the club, seems to have quite enjoyed it. Gerard himself spoke really well of Andy King and about how he dealt with his time uh, at Ibrox in and around the training um, set up etc just never worked out for him and there's, there's there's little you can do about it I think the last I heard he was farmed out to Huddersfield on loan so he's still getting that, a game somewhere which he seems good enough to certainly justify that Well yeah, I must admit I was actually a wee bit excited about um, us getting Andy King in on loan because like Scott said, he was a he's got a Premiership winners medal, and all right, he's getting a wee bit on in years. But I thought this is a long way. Um, Stephen Davis, this is a little bit of experience in the middle of that park that will need that will, that will push us on. Well, while while he's uh, doing his zip up, uh, I'll happily jump in uh, on that. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thank, thankfully, we're not recording this via video. Um, yeah, I think I think Scott has the absolute right of it. Decent player, really good pedigree, winner's medal in his back pocket, victim of circumstance that uh, Gerard maybe thought there'll be times when I'll need another experienced campaigner in there because in, in terms of midfield, to an extent, you've got Ryan Jack and then from the really experienced side, you've got Stephen Davis. But the, the, trio, the trio was working. At the start of the season, You know, players were looking phenomenal. And Andy King just couldn't get in. He'd come off the back of an injury, so his fitness might have been a wee bit lagging as well. And at the age he was, he was probably desperate to play. So the fact he wasn't breaking a team probably meant that an adult conversation was had. Listen, Andy, it's no happening. What do you want to do? I'd rather go back down the road and find myself another team. And, and then, as Scott said, he goes to Huddersfield or whatever it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's all adults around the table, so no hard feelings, but a victim of circumstance. Apologies about that, guys, but I was uh, I was speaking and realised I had the mic muted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Now I was saying uh, about Andy King, I thought he came with a lot of promise as well. Um, I thought he was going to come and kind of, as as uh, Martin was saying about um, the kind of the experience in there with Davis, I thought it was going to kind of kick on the kind of younger guys in the midfield, maybe like give Jack and maybe Rebo who's kind of played their Camara a wee bit of rest now and then and come in and not be thrown into it as, as much as they kind of have. I know kind of obviously Jack in there, but. You know, I thought we could maybe bring him into the team a wee bit, kind of in and out and re- rotated a wee bit more. But I think it was one game I seen him it was against Livingston. Was somebody anyway he came on and he added a lot of energy into the midfield, and I thought that he could really add something uh, in there, something maybe a wee bit different for what we've had. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just obviously injuries, I think, have kind of blighted him. No, absolutely. And like I say, I was excited about him coming in, but. Like you guys have said, he's come in and he's not really broke into that team. And well, we wish him all the best anyway. Um, the well, next one, the next one, way, uh, Martin. Sorry, just just to say that. Look at it this way: there, there would have been a time when we were talking about a signing uh, that we'd paid money for who hadn't worked out at that age. Whereas we're just talking about a guy who was brought up on loan and was easily sent back down. So at least it, you know we're talking about somebody who didn't really actually cost the club anything. No, that's true. That's true. It just it, it deflated me a wee bit because I genuinely felt he would come in and actually make the difference. However, the, the next player is someone who I didn't really want us to sign, Jordan Jones. Um, now, now, Thomas, tell me if I'm being a wee bit too harsh here. Decent, decent SPFL player. Nothing more, not good enough for Rangers. I think he's he's better than that, I have to say. Although I probably get the, the point that you... You know that underlies that, which is I get a concern that he's one-dimensional. I also think that there's a lot of potential off-the-field stuff that comes with him. He gets caught up in it, um, and that's why his career get derailed at places like Middlesbrough and stuff like that because he wasn't a great trainer and he, you know, he loved the party lifestyle and and that type of thing. Do I think he's got a role to play at Rangers? I still do. Do I think that Steven Gerrard agrees with me? No. I think Steven Gerrard had enough of him pretty early doors which leads you to think he's a Mark Allen signing. And I do seem to remember that Mark Allen had previously worked with him or really liked him, and and there was some chat around about that. I think, although I would probably keep him on, the door's probably shut for for Jordan Jones and and a Rangers jersey, which is, you know, unfortunate because I I do think he can unlock a defence. He's got a decent delivery on him. I I point to maybe the the ball for Alfie against uh, Legia Vossa. Um, and the qualifiers, uh, he can beat a player, he can score a goal. I do still have that fear that he's one-dimensional in terms of straight running and doesn't really uh, be able to beat a player other than pace, but I think he'll probably be out of the door. Scott, maybe I am being slightly too harsh, but has he shown, a bit like what Thomas has said now, that mentality-wise he's, he's never really grown up? Yeah, I think um, as, as far as Jordan Jones concerned, you're looking at a guy who almost, I don't know, almost can't rein in his excitement that he signed for Rangers. I mean, if you remember, like, I'm sure on his Instagram, almost after he, he signed the pre-contract agreement with Stockholm Armour, and he said, he posted something, and then at the end they put WATP when he was still playing with Kilmarnock. So he was quite clearly very keen to get in a blue jersey and get his career going. I think Jordan Jones is... On the periphery of of leaving Rangers, I it's probably one of these things that it's a pity that the season's currently in the state it's in because you would have known over the next couple of weeks, months, 
whether Jordan Jones had any future at Ibrox. I think there's concerns over his his attitude, how well he trains. He got himself sent off stupidly at Ibrox earlier on in the season. Showed a bit of immaturity as far as I was concerned, and Gerard will not stick that. He will not put up for that. What we need to be very careful, though, however, is of the guys that we've spoke about tonight, we've said a lot about how we've got an abundance of talent on the left side. If we're bumping Ojo and Barker and Middleton and Hasty and Jones, those numbers eventually begin to dwindle and we're left with very little option on the left-hand side. That may be the one of the reasons that Jordan Jones is around for another season at Ibrox. Can I quickly ask then, uh, uh, Martin, before you move on to Willie and stuff like that, but just a, a question for everybody. On the basis of what Scott's just said there, maybe to have a thought, out of the players that we've discussed on that left-hand side, and I throw the potential to, to purchase Florian Camberry and, and play him out on the left as well, when required, who do you keep? Camberry. Camberry uh, trumps every single one of them, for me. Camberry for me. William? No. Canberra as well, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd been, I'd been inclined to, inclined to agree. Uh, well, just, just finally on uh, Jones. Now we can, we can point to a couple of examples where um, he's been, his mentality's let him down a wee bit. But fairly or unfairly, was the sending off an injury against Celtic the beginning and the end in Gerrard's eyes? Yeah, I, I think it was. Yeah, it was just kind of petulance, wasn't it? When he, he kind of had a wee uh, kick out at. Um, can't remember who it was. The boy they had on one for Stoke, I think. I think that was uh, the beginning of the end, but I don't know. I think he might still have something to offer, in my opinion, but I don't know if Jared trusts him now. And I think once you break your trust with somebody, that's, that's pretty much you. And just just for the record, by the way, it was an absolutely phenomenal challenge and it was never a red card. But have no, no comment. <laughs> do, do you mean, I think the player as well was, uh, um, is it Boyer or Boyer or something like that? Moritz Boyer? I didn't know what to go for the pronunciation because I'm awful at them, so I just thought I'd try and avoid that. <laughs> just that bloke? That bloke. The, the one with the hair. Yes, the one with the, the, one with the hair. <laughs> See, that, that, that's pretty bad because... If you listen to any Celtic supporter, they could name every single one of your players and their date of birth, and you can't even name <laughs> one of theirs. They could name our kit man, and we don't even know theirs. Quite true, quite true. Um, second last player, Scott, uh, Stephen Davis. Now, he came in last season in January on loan. Well, a wee bit of fitness issues properly, uh, probably, but no-brainer for you? At the, at the time, I thought it was a no-brainer. I felt he would bring decent experience for guys like Ryan Jack, Glenn Kamara. Um, you're talking about a guy who has led his uh, team at international level to memorable performances in European Championship qualifiers, etc. So he, he was always going to bring in an experience of what he's done previously. I think, secondly, he's played at Ibrox before. He's done it before. He's won the trophies before. He knows what it's all about. So yes, a no-brainer. Uh, for me, it was it was something that they felt they um, they been uh, Stephen Gerrard bringing in Davis would have been a, a, a clever call, um, and I think it's proved to be. I think it's been it's been a, a shrewd bit of business for Rangers to to get him in this season and and have him around the squad. 
And there I was on mute. There you go. Sorry, I've just, I've just, <laughs> I've just done a wally. There you go. <laughs> um, Thomas, there was many people saying last season, after what happened in January, that we just didn't have the experience uh, and we didn't have the players there who knew how to win a title. Um, I, I think that was probably one of the main reasons that Gerard wanted to to bring Davis back in uh, permanently. Yeah, I mean he's he's been over the course. He's he's won he's won titles, he's won trophies, he's played also at the, the highest level um, down in the EPL. So he's got all that bags of experience to get over the line. Um, he's also let's not forget a very 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 good player and, and can dictate a game. The, the reason that maybe some of us are just taking a slight beat. Uh, before we, we answer, uh, and this might be the truth for, for listeners as well, if you were asking the question on the 1st of January or the 31st of December, it would have been an absolute no-brainer, uh, but he did, his performances tailed off uh, in the second half of the season before it was suspended. He did look a bit heavy-legged. Um, that doesn't take away his talent. He's a you know phenomenal, phenomenal player. Interesting to see when he steps back from international football. Uh, I think he's getting to that that point where a decision needs to be made if he wants to extend his, his club career. But, yeah, no-brainer to bring him in, absolutely. And he, you know, he's a great player to have around about the dressing room and a great player to bring on as well. So I just don't know if he's the type of player naturally you would think is going to cement a first-team regular starting berth next season, given his age. Uh, that's maybe one to think about. But in terms of bringing him in, which was your question, yeah, it was a no-brainer. That's actually quite a good point to to take to you Wally for, for next season Stephen Davis for you next season yeah I'm having him um, I would think he's going to just probably rotate far more though I think maybe play him in the the, the kind of bigger games um, and hope he's, he's experienced and his knowledge in a part but I think recently you know you can you can see in his performances I've said it before he kind of sits in front of the defence too much when he's not having the, maybe the best of games he's no kind of found his range of passing. He's kind of came back, maybe not firing in all cylinders after Christmas and, uh, and then after the, the, the trip to Dubai. But I, I think he'll, he'll still add a, a lot of experience and a lot of know-how and how to get things over the line and keep boys in order, I'm sure. I I think there'll be a lot of Rangers supporters, quite unfairly, and I'm probably one of them, actually. I, I had a real go at, at Davis. But before that winter break, Scott, he was... He was playing some really good football, and he was he was helping the team through games as well. He was he was talking to Arfield and Jack, and he, especially Jack had a big influence on um, Ryan Jack, and we've seen that in Jack's performances this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, Davis has brought a, a bit of a, a different dimension to Ryan Jack's game. What I think he do sometimes find is that in the games that Ibrox were largely dominating the play. If Davis and Jack are both playing, they almost get in each other's way a little bit. Um, so they're both playing deep, almost on top of our centre-halves. And there's a definite argument for games like that. You need at least one of them to be slightly more advanced than the other. But I think Davis has been really good for Ryan Jack. And the other materials, as I said earlier on, I think he's been a good uh, sounding board for these guys. And as we said before, if anyone can pick a a good midfielder, it's, it's Stephen Gerrard and Stephen Davis has had a really good career and he can look back and this spell at Rangers has been equally successful as the, the first one as far as getting the chance to play Ibrox again is concerned. 
Final player, Thomas, and it was one that came absolutely and completely out of the blue. And again, I'd never heard them, Philip Hellander. Yeah, uh, you know, Swedish international. Uh, I tend to run to the, the, the thought that he's a he's a classy centre-back. I quite like Philip Hellander. Uh, and I I think he was brought in, in Stephen Gerrard's mind, as the complement to Conor Goldson. I think if you were to ask Stephen Gerrard... What is his go-to back two centre backs pairing? It would be Conor Goldson and Philip Hellander, and then he might change it depending on specific games. Um, it's been really unlucky that I thought he had given us a, a sense of balance at the back before he got injured. I think his passing's maybe maybe something to be looked at, but yeah, I won't pretend that I knew a hell of a lot about him before he before he turned up. But he, he looks like a good purchase. I think it was somewhere in the, the two, two and a bit million uh, bracket. Um, for an international who looks like he, he could be a really, really good fit. Uh, and I think if, if everything stays the way it is and everybody's fit come the start of next season, then the, the centre-back pairing will return to um, Connor Goldson and Philip Hellander. And it'll be up to other people, George Edmondson, Nikola Katic, for example, to then try and move one of these guys out of the way. It might have showed through the season to be a, a, a good purchase, Scott, but at the time, and I think it was, a, I could be wrong, but I think it was closer to four million. But at the time, Scott, were you expecting us to spend that kind of money on a centre-back, considering who we already had in place? No, not particularly. I think Gerard had made a lot of positive noises about Katic. Uh, we brought in Edmondson, we spoke about earlier on, I think everyone's largely quite impressed with. Hellander offers us a, a different option as far as how technical he is. I think technically he's a really good defender and he's left-sided. Uh, and I think it gives Gerard a bit more comfort as far as the balance of his defence is concerned. So right-back, right-sided centre-half, left-sided centre-half, left-back, that's what he's looking for. It gives you perfect balance. And I think Tommy's absolutely right. With Goldson and Hellander playing centre-halves, uh, you have that balance. Uh, I think he's the best defender we've got. I've said that previously. Uh, and look forward to seeing him again in the Blue Jersey. And just finally, Wally, um, at the time, uh, I was one of those fans who was scratching his head going, why are we spending this kind of money on a centre-back when we've got Goldson, Katic and Edmondson? But I think the... The performances throughout the season, Gerard was right to bring him in. Absolutely, I think he's been been a great kind of addition to the back line. He's obviously got the experience playing internationally for Sweden, playing top level Serie A uh, for a good few number of seasons now. And I think making any addition a, a guy that quality it kind of shows where we're we're going and the kind of maybe the Gerard factor kind of helping in that sense as well. I feel like that my only worry with the guy is is his pace. He doesn't seem to have any sort of pace, but um, it doesn't seem to trouble him in games. It's, I think it just troubles the fans, maybe heart and mouse. But he always seems to make up for it for his his kind of game intelligence back there. He's kind of like similar to David Weir, how he would kind of take up the kind of similar positions, you know, that David Weir would take up uh, at the back. Just, just to add to that, uh, and I think you know, Williams, Williams fairly, fairly correct in that as well, but if you were to look at it in a, in a two-by-two basis, you would say, what's your mature centre-back pairing? So, as I've said previously, your mature, experienced centre-back pairing is Conor Goldson 
and it's mm-hmm. Philip Hellander. And then who's up and coming, learning uh, and being rotated into the squad to, to experience first team games? Well, it's Nikola Katic and George Edmondson. So there's a there's a current and there's a forward facing pairing there as well in terms of future. So I, I think there's a, there's a really good um, mix in there of, of those four players at the moment. OK, guys, well, taking all that into account, I'm going to ask each of you for a mark out of 10 on transfer business done. Knowing everything that we know now, but I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think of it because we are looking for artists and musicians to send us in, upcoming, I should say, artists and musicians, to send us in your music so that we and send us in a little bit about yourself and uh, we'll play your music out at the end of the pod just to try and give you a wee bit of exposure. Um, you can um, contact us on Twitter at This Is Ibrooks. You can uh, get us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash This Is Ibrooks. And you can also get us on Instagram at This Is Ibrooks. You can also email This Is Ibrooks at Outlook.com. Because um, Wally, a couple of weeks ago, managed to get a hold of Damien Hendry. He writes all his own stuff. He finances himself as well. And we played his song out at the end of the pod, and that will be played out again at the end of this pod. So, upcoming artists and musicians and bands, please get in touch, and uh, we will do our best to promote your music. Now, Wally, mark out a 10. I'll go a 7. A 7, really? Aye, aye. Scott? I'm going to say a 7. 7, copycat. Thomas? I thought seven, and then I remembered, <laughs> I, remembered um, I, I did think seven, but then I remembered Brandon Barker's hair, and so I'm going to make it six. <laughs> I was going to go six, but I thought that's a bit too harsh. <laughs> no, Considering like how the first, the first half of the season went. I'll be the harsh one, and I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll go harsh, and I'll say six. It's Simon Cowell. Can't <laughs> <laughs> get high my waist or my trousers are. <laughs> Right, well, actually, just on that then, actually, because this might be quite a good exercise. Right, Wally, Ryan Kent, success or fail? I've looked back in his stats and I'll say he's just passed. Okay, Scott, George Edmondson, success or fail? Success. Right, Thomas Joe Aribo, success or fail? Success. Wally, Jake Hasty? Fail. Scott, Jordan Jones? Success. Ooh, I thought about that one. You could hear the wheels turning. I think he's right. I wanted to say, I wanted to say sale. If I was being perfectly honest, I could quite make mind up. <laughs> Thomas Greg Stewart. Fail. Scott Brandon Barker. Next. <laughs> Wally Stephen Davis. Success. Wally Andy King. Fail. Thomas Philip Hellander. Uh, pass. So actually, that probably. That probably so I meant pass as in he, he passes, he's a success, not pass as in Brandon, Brandon Barker. <laughs> Nobody else but Brandon Barker is in that that column. I've only just found out something about him, just doing a bit of research. He won the uh, European Under 21 Championships with Sweden. Who? Philip Hellander? Philip Hellander, I didn't know that. Sorry, I thought you were talking about Brandon Barker there. No. So did I. I was like, God, I'm <laughs> Yeah, that might have changed my opinion of him, although it wouldn't have. <laughs> right, guys, I think we'll, we'll we'll leave it there for this week. It's went a wee bit longer than I than I expected, but we're going to do a season review. But 
um, we'll, we'll leave that until next week's pod. So all I've got left to do is say thank you to William. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Scott. Cheers, Martin. Thank you. Thomas. Cheers, Martin. Thanks very much, and thanks to the guys. And a big thank you from me, and we'll speak to you next week. If bluebells sing like church bells ring, fight fire.